Welcome to Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. I'm Tracy Brown, the fraud-busting body language expert. I've spent the last 20 years reading people, uncovering secrets hidden in plain sight to find the truth in crimes, politics, and billion-dollar business deals. And I want you to be able to tell whose pants are on fire, make better decisions, and build your bottom line as well. Get ready. Let's dive in. All right, we have a new segment that uh, I like to call News of the Day from your BFF, your best felon friend. Brett Johnson is with us just for a few minutes to bring us up to date on what is happening today in the crime world. Brett is my pal. He is my window into the dark web and what people are doing out there that they shouldn't be. So say hi, Brett. Tracy, how are you? I'm awesome. I'm awesome. <laughs> what is going on out there today? What is going on? Oh, Tracy, Tracy, what's going on out there today? What's not going on out there today is a better question to ask. Let me ask you something. Hmm. Have you ever returned something to say Walmart or Amazon or anything like that? Um, yeah, I have. And you know what? A friend of mine, uh, she worked at Home Depot. And mm -hmm. you know what one of her jobs was is to destroy all the returned merchandise. They, they throw it away. Throw it away. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. There's a whole lot of criminals out there right now that are doing this thing called refund fraud. Give you an example of some of the dollar amounts, because I mean, all the criminals know the dollar amounts. So you could you can hit target for thirty five thousand dollars in refunds. Get your money back. Keep the items within you know, 24, 48 hours. You get your money back. So what they're doing is wait a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> wait a minute. How how does all this come together? Because like, don't they take like if I was going to order, let's say twenty mm -hmm. TVs, let's just sure. Say, they show up at my door. They take a picture of them on on my doorstep or what? Like what's going on? How is all this working? I'm glad you brought that up because taking the pictures that begins at Amazon. Now the reason that Amazon started taking pictures is because of refund fraud. So about seven years ago, you had a lot of these dark web criminals, they would order MacBook Pros and Amazon would just drop them off on the doorstep. They wouldn't require a signature back then, they do now. But back then they wouldn't even require a signature. They'd drop them off on the doorstep. As soon as they dropped them off, the guy would pick it up. He'd get on the phone with Amazon. Hey, I didn't get it. Amazon would ship out another MacBook Pro. That one would arrive two days later. They'd leave it on your porch. You'd pick up the phone again. Hey, I didn't get that one either. Amazon would give you a complete refund. And you've now you wouldn't know anything about this personally. Well, I mean, <laughs> I was when it started happening, I was not completely on the legal side of the fence. <laughs> okay. So what are they doing now? What are people doing now? Oh, oh so it, you know, it starts at Amazon. And, and you know, I started my legal career has been going on for about five years, four and a half, mm. five years now. Mm. And the first thing that I ever warned about was this refund fraud because it redefines cybercrime as we know it. I okay. mean, it completely changes the game because now somebody that doesn't understand crime at all can come in and immediately profit several thousand dollars a month. All right. Okay. So I was warning about this. I told merchants that, hey, it's going to eat you alive. Well, guess what? It's it eating them alive today. Today, so you can you can order stuff from and and back then the excuse was it didn't arrive. Today it's changed. Now the okay. didn't arrive excuse still works to a degree, but these days you're you're having fraudsters that they'll get the package and they'll say, hey, you know, I got the box, but there's nothing in the box. Oh, yeah. Oh, dang. Or better yet, better yet, mm -hmm. they fake tracking information, so they pretend 
to send the package back and the package appears that it's been sent back to the merchant or to the return center, uh-huh. but it never arrives. Meanwhile, the merchant thinks the package has arrived. So imagine that. How does that work? So what happens is you can, you can, you print out the return receipt, uh-huh. the shipping label or sure. return shipping label. Uh-huh. You can manipulate that shipping label. So you remove all of the data from the shipping label, except for the tracking information. Uh-huh. That way when the package arrives, they don't know who sent it, where it was sent from. They don't know what the contents are, what order it's related to or anything else. All right. So they just receive that shipping label back in the mail. So you can attach the shipping label to an empty box. You can attach the shipping label to a magazine or a flyer. You can attach the shipping label to a box full of junk. And not only that, but you can also manipulate the shipping address. So if it's going to the return facility, you can have it sent down the street someplace else. As long as it arrives, it's scanned as delivered. It's entered into the computer system that it arrived at the address. Merchant doesn't know any better. So it appears that it's been delivered, that the correct product's been delivered, never reaches where it's supposed to. Dang, this is a how-to. This is a how-to. It is a how-to. It is. I'm not saying, hey, I'm not saying you need to get out there and do it. We're not the car right. police. <laughs> the bad idea. <laughs> but this is what's going on right now. And it's, it's really... It's really harming a lot of merchants. You take a camera merchant, if you, you know, these camera stores, they operate on a two to 3% margin. Oh yeah. So all of a sudden, if you're hitting one of these stores with that type of fraud, potentially That's you're huge. out of business. It's huge. It's now, now what, what you're, you're fighting this now. What are you doing? I am. Out there? I, I, so I, I opened up a new uh, website. It's cybercrime101.com. And we talk about what I believe in. I don't believe that you charge a victim. All right. I, mm-hmm. I don't believe in that. I think that you reach out, you help the victim. Mm-hmm. Once the victim is out of trouble, if you're a consultant, if you're a company at that point, try to sell your product. All right. Or maybe mm-hmm. at that point, the company, the merchant figures that, Hey, these guys helped us. Let's bring them on. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe in charging a victim. I think that's wrong to do that. I think you're basically an ambulance chaser if you're doing that. Oh boy. So that I also, these past five years being on the legal side, I've seen time and time again that consultants and security companies, they really don't talk about how these crimes are committed. Instead, they're kind of like gatekeepers. They keep Mm -hmm. it hidden and they use the excuse of, hey, I don't want to talk about it publicly because criminals will know how to commit the crime. Well, you know what? Criminals already know how to commit the crime. They're the ones doing it. People who don't know how the crime are committed is committed. Those are the victims and they need to know how these crimes are committed. Except for the new criminals that we're creating here. Well, but the thing is, is <laughs> the information that I just shared with you is free, is free on the dark web. Oh boy. Yeah. You can pull it up for free. And that's, that's exactly what I'm doing is I'm just sharing information that criminals already know about that way. I'm educating the victims. I'm also talking about how you can help protect yourself from these types of crimes. That's what I believe in doing these days. And I, I'm adamant about that. I take that shit seriously. Well, we do too. I'm glad you did it. I got to get on to the interview. So now we have a, this is our uh, first uh, crime report with Brett, uh, your BFF. And uh, Brett, we'll see you next time. Crazy, take care. I had a great talk with Sharon Edwards. She is doing her Justice Delayed podcast, investigating an almost 20 year old murder in Abilene, Texas. Uh, listen to find out how she's avoided being arrested during her own investigation, uh, who the suspects are, who will talk to her, who won't, 
if she thinks she'll solve this and why she's doing it at all. It is fascinating to try to find a murderer. Enjoy. Sharon, thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies, and Cover-Ups. It's so cool to have you. Thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Now, you are super interesting because you have your own true crime podcast, which just fascinates me because uh, you're you're taking this time out of your life to investigate like, like a citizen investigator and then documenting it for the rest of us. So why don't you talk a little bit about the case you're up to now? And because uh, it's been a couple of years since you've uh, been really digging into this and, and maybe talk a little bit, too, about your background. Like, why do you think you can crack this case? And, and let's go from there. OK, well, I. Uh... I started out, I um, was always really interested in true crime, watched all the shows, you know, all of that. I got really interested in true crime podcasts. Um, in 2017, I learned about a true crime conference that um, was featuring a bunch of podcasters, true crime podcasters. Wait, wait, which, which conference? CrimeCon. Oh, I spoke. I spoke at one of their online things. I'm trying to get into the live event uh, coming up. I did, I did their Crime HQ um, membership. Uh, I was there. Like, That's how we met. Oh, great. Okay, good. I right. Mean, I, I didn't know where you got me besides. Like, yeah, that's where I that's where I first heard you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Okay. So it works. Love CrimeCon. All right. Yeah, so too. you went to CrimeCon. Then what happened? I got even more obsessed with the true crime podcast and, and really even more so with the mission of what these true crime podcasters were doing, um, the passion that they had and, and the fact that some of them um, obviously have journalism backgrounds, investigative backgrounds, law enforcement backgrounds, but mm -hmm. some of them don't. And I just thought that was so inspiring that they were taking time out of their lives to, to pursue these cases and work for justice for victims and their families. And I came away from that conference thinking uh, probably very naively, hey, I think I could do this too. <laughs> uh -huh. and, oh my gosh. You know, but I was so inspired by it that I wanted to give it a try and I felt like I couldn't do anything else. Like that's what I needed to do. Oh, and wow. so I came home from that conference and I started looking for a case that I thought that I could tackle. Something that nobody was really looking at or wasn't getting enough publicity or that somebody had a need that maybe I could fill. Well, wow. now, how do you look for a case? Like, I'm so curious about that. Like, tell us like what goes on. So I just started reading a lot of uh, online articles about mm -hmm. unsolved cases. Mm -hmm. I, at the time I was living in San Antonio. Okay. So I was looking at what cases are near enough here that I can go, um, I can go boots on the ground. I can investigate. I can kind of get a feel for this scene uh, that I can travel to on a fairly regular basis and um, be able to, to meet the people involved and really try to sort of do something to shake things up and make a difference. And so I found uh, the Jennifer Servo case uh -huh. and I contacted her family. I did some research and located her family uh -huh. and wrote them emails and asked them if they, um, I actually can't remember if I called first or emailed, but um, I think originally it was an email and um, asked them if they would like it. If I looked into the case, told, told them my background, my lack of background, um, lack of experience in this particular topic, but I said, Hey, I'm willing to do this. Would, would you like that? You know, is that okay with you? Wow. Now you do have some legal background though, don't you? I do. I'm a paralegal. Okay. I have a, I have a business degree and I'm a paralegal. So I, I do have that, but, um, okay. you know, so, I mean, 
have I have the, the knowledge, I think, to do some things, but definitely not the experience in like private investigating, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. OK, OK. So you found the case. You got the thumbs up from the family. Then Where do you start? Like, how does this really go? <laughs> well, I just started reading everything I could. Um, and in this case, there wasn't a lot. That was one of the things that kind of drew me to this case. There wasn't a lot of information. And what there was was really conflicting. Um, I'd read one thing and then I'd read something that was almost the opposite. And I thought, wow, I don't know how you can get anywhere with a case like this until you track down the sources of those information and find out what's true. And, you know, at the time it was 15 years later, almost 15 years. And um, I I knew I was just going to have to go back and talk to people and try to figure out what really happened here. Um, so do you want to get, let, let's get into the case a little bit. Cause I think it's super fascinating. So, um, like the part I, and the part I know is that, uh, Jennifer was now wait, what year was she killed? Uh, 2002, 2002. Okay. So, so <clears throat> excuse me. She was in the reserves, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then got into broadcasting and she went out to Abilene. Now I grew up in Dallas. I know all about Abilene and there's not much goes on in Abilene. Like uh, I'm sure it's grown a little bit, but you're pretty much in the middle of nowhere. And um, it's a long way to somewhere from Abilene. Yeah. So, so you have this TV personality and, or well, not necessarily personality, but at least a news newscaster, right? Mm-hmm. She's a field and, reporter at that time. Reporter. There you go. All right. You take it from here. Okay, so she had just graduated from the University of Montana. Uh, this was her first job out of school, although she had been working in at news stations in the Missoula area. Okay. Um, this was her first job uh, out of school. So she moves, um, it's like 1600 miles uh, from Missoula down to Abilene. And, um, you know, she's ready to, to take on this new job. She's in Abilene for 61 days. Okay. And on, on that 61st day, she's murdered in her own apartment. There's no forced entry. And now it's 19 years later, and we're still at basically the same spot we were then. Man, okay, but you've dug into this, right? And you've sent me some videos of at least one of the suspects. And um, we can talk a little bit about it, but we should probably take most of that conversation offline. Uh, <laughs> but, but So why don't you talk about, because remember, this is a time, because now, We'd be like, oh, just look at the security video, right? Not a big deal. Can't do that in 2003, right? Which is amazing, like, to think how far we've come. So where do you start? How does all this unfold for you? Because didn't you almost get, or did you just escape being arrested yourself? Like, you've had a lot of adventure. I I have. Well, there's a steep learning curve in the beginning. Um, You know, I mean, I I was taking photographs at apartment complexes, and um, I, I did get, I got, they called the police on me. They brought me into the office. They called the police on me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they were not happy. Um, now, now how many pictures and how long do you have to hang around until <laughs> until you start getting the wrong kind of attention? Like, how does that really go? Not very long. Um, maybe <laughs> seven or eight minutes. And yeah, yeah, no, it was quick. But um, I think a maintenance guy saw me and yeah, they didn't like it. I told him what I was there for. I told him that I was looking into this case. Um, they were still not happy. So yeah, they called the police. She told me she was going to have me arrested for trespassing. But I mean, in the end, the police didn't even, well, I didn't hear the whole conversation, but the police did not come out. <laughs> but I can tell you, it, it did scare me a bit because I thought, great, this is my first day investigating and I'm going to get arrested. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh my gosh. So yeah. So I, I didn't really think I was doing anything wrong and and truthfully I'm not except that they don't have to allow me on their property if they don't want to. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So you didn't get to take as many pictures as you wanted. Uh but well, what I learned is you go back before the office opens. Oh, <laughs> well, go back like before you. 8 a.m. You're, you're good. I like you already. Okay. So, <laughs> so uh, like, what do you do next? What, I mean, how does this really unfold? So I just started talking to people and I started taking all the, the various bits of information I was getting that were conflicting and I would just line them up and I would set, I would put them on a bulletin board and I would put the piece of information, everything that conflicted but was about the same topic, put the sources, and then just try to track down what the heck happened. Where, where did this go wrong? How do we get off the track? Cause sometimes it's a reporter making a mistake. Sometimes it's a reporter who, you know, maybe takes artistic license or here's a, a different way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so things start to happen. And, and all of a sudden, 15 years later, and now 19 years later, you have a relatively different story on some of these pieces of information. So you just have to try to track it back to the source as long as, you know, as, accurately as you can. And sometimes you have to make a real educated guess about, does this really make sense that it would have happened this way? I mean, there's been this uh, controversy over whether or not they were driving one car, two cars that night um, when they no, were running errands. Because so, she was, she was running errands with the, with the weatherman. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, cause yeah. they, but wait, okay. So we got to get into this a little bit. Okay. She was, she had a boyfriend, right? When she moved to Abilene, she had a boyfriend. Uh, they had just met that summer. He was in army reserve he was in army reserves as well he had been a ranger uh he was 12 and a half years older than she was and uh they moved down to abilene together almost immediately uh, within a few weeks or a month or so of moving there she found out um some secrets that he had been keeping from her some very like what like what uh, that, uh, well, one is that when he met her, he had been living with his fiance. Oh, so he was engaged Yikes. and living with her and Jennifer never knew until they had moved down to Abilene together. And, um, so she found that out oh my and God. she found out that he had also, he had a child that he had no contact with, um, that he had not mentioned to her as well. Oh my goodness. So she finds this stuff out and they've already moved in. Like they moved across the country and then like, what happens from there? Cause they, they broke, didn't they break up somehow? They break up. Like, what, yeah. what happens? Okay. So the apartment is in Jennifer's name. And so she asked him to move out. He does. And um, even though, you know, he had been living in Abilene when they met or I, sorry, he had been, they had been living, uh, he had been living in Montana he stays in Abilene and moves about five minutes down the street mm-hmm. into an apartment. So okay. I always found that kind of puzzling. I mean, why stay in Abilene? Like you said, I mean, Abilene is lovely. I, I love Abilene. They're very kind, yeah. people, very, <laughs> very generous people. But I don't know that if you're not from there or you don't ha- have a job there or history there or friends there, why would you stay in Abilene when your girlfriend breaks up with you? There's no, no reason. No. So I always found that puzzling, you know, it's, it's an odd fact. Um, okay. Yeah. So he moves a little bit away, still stays close. What happens next? Uh, next, she uh, still conflicting information about whether or not she was actually dating this weatherman. They spent a lot of time together. He says they were dating. Um, I've heard from her friends that there was just a kiss and that she knew that it was a mistake because it was someone she worked with Mm -hmm. and that she didn't want to pursue that relationship. Um, I have heard from several 
places, however, I have several sources that say she was not going to pursue that relationship and she had planned to tell him, look, I'm not as interested in you as you are in me. We are not going to be dating. So whether they ever actually dated, I don't know for sure, but I do know that she was not going to date him and she had intended to tell him right in that two to three day time frame when she okay. was murdered. Okay. So was there anything, do you have any other information from bef- when like with that date? Because they went out on a date, right? And then- uh, they just um, went to run errands. Right, run errands, but they were back pretty late from the errands. Well, they worked the 10 o'clock news that night. So oh, they left okay. after the news. Okay. They went and picked up a coffee table and some other miscellaneous items from a friend for Jennifer's apartment. They went to Walmart. Then they drive back to um, the colleague's house, his apartment building to mm-hmm. take his groceries up. And then uh, they have a short chat, who knows how long, and then she leaves. And he says he he watched her drive away. And we know that she drove away. We know that she got home safely because she had an hour long conversation once she got inside her apartment. Mm-hmm. So we know she made it home safely. That's one of the most puzzling aspects of this case is we know she made it home safely. What happened after that? Mm-hmm. How now, did we, how did she end up murdered with no forced entry after 1.30 in the morning? Wow. No forced entry. That's super interesting. So, so what have you found? Like, t- let's talk about the, like how you find in your leads. What is your educated guess? How does all this starting to come together? Uh, it's still coming together. I have done a better job. I think ruling people out. Um, it's, there's still, there's still a myriad of suspects. I mean, we have you know, the police had kind of narrowed it down really to two suspects and only one named suspect and one one suspect who basically named himself. Um, oh, that's interesting. So, so those the, the boyfriend and, and the ex-boyfriend and the, the colleague. But then you also you have uh, people that could get into her apartment at that time of night by um, possibly saying, you know, a, a noise complaint from a neighbor. You know, you would answer your door maybe to a neighbor. Hey, knock, 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 you know, you're being a little loud. You're on the phone. I can hear you through the wall. Um, you know, possibly an apartment manager or a maintenance person or Mm -hmm. an employee, I guess is what I really mean. An apartment employee who might have a key is a possibility. Um, I mean, there's always the idea of a stalker, um, a random person. Those are harder to explain with the lack of forced entry. Sure. Jennifer was known to be very safety conscious. Um, She rented a post office box. She didn't have mail delivered to her apartment um, to kind of keep the the address anonymous for her. She didn't want people tracking her down at her house. Um, So she was really careful. And I've heard that multiple times. So I think it's really puzzling. Who did she open that door to? How did this happen? Mm -hmm. Now, do you know how she was killed? Yeah, she was beaten and strangled. Oh, yikes. Okay. So, so low tech on that. Mm -hmm. So, um, now are you finding that people willing to talk to you or do you have anyone who won't talk to you? Like, what's the, like, tell us about the process of, of investigating, like from a, from a, let's say a layman's perspective, like, what do you do? Uh, I make a lot of cold calls and I get hung up on a lot. Do you really? Oh my (laughs) God. So they they just don't want to talk. They just don't want to talk. Uh, but I, sometimes I will track them down and see if I can get an in-person interview. Sometimes they're more willing to talk in person just because you're kind of right there in their face. It's harder to get a, 
I think it's harder to be rude to someone when you're face to face with them than if you're on the phone, you can just click, mm-hmm. you know, and it's over. I'm doing it like it's an old school phone, right? Yeah. I mean, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, it's super easy to just get rid of someone when they call you. So, you know, I reach out on Facebook. I reach out through email if I can find it. Um, you know, I have a pretty good background check kind of a, a system where I can, can track down different uh, contact information for people. So I also, since I have the family support, I'm able to, the family can, can say, you know, to the people that they're friendly with, you know, we'd like you to go ahead and talk to Sharon and, and those people definitely cooperate. Oh, wow. Okay. So what's the most interesting piece of Intel that you have collected? Uh, let's see. <laughs> the most interesting piece of Intel I've collected that I can share. You okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. Can we come back to that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. We can come back to okay. it. So do you think you're going to solve this case? I do. You do? Because it's do. been how many years because you've been doing this? Almost four. Four years. Now, do you have another job? I did have another job. You I don't, don't now. And now you don't. You're just podcasting. Now, um, are you making enough money off it to live? No, or? no, no. So no I'm not making a dime. In. You're just sucked in to this whole, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that is amazing. Yeah. So, um, all right. Now, why do you think that you're going to solve it? I think that at this point, there's, there are enough people talking, there's enough buzz that I, I just feel like something is really about to break through. Um, I've talked to so many people and we're really starting, you know, at the time that I started this, I, I, didn't have a job. Then I had a full-time job. And so it kind of, I uh, wasn't able to do as much, but now that we're really picking up steam again, there's a lot of people that are contacting me with information, uh, giving me tips, sometimes anonymously, sometimes not, but there's a lot more information kind of starting to come out and none of it's um, earth shattering yet, but it's all about pieces of the puzzle, right? And fitting them all together and getting enough pieces to finally make some sense of, of some things. Wow. Now, have you talked to the weatherman or the ex-boyfriend? No, I've attempted to, but oh, they really? are not talking. Neither will talk. Oh, now, isn't that interesting? Do you, th- do you know if they know each other? They don't know each other. They never met. They don't. Now, are, is either of them still in Abilene? No, they both left very shortly afterwards. Uh, both within a year, they were gone. Oh, wow. Okay. Huh. So that is so interesting because the weatherman has some pretty interesting uh, body language going on. I think, I think he knows more than what he's saying. So um, that's what I got from those little bait clips. So, so yeah, um, be interested. <laughs> yeah, now, now you have an event coming up. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we're going to do an event uh, in Abilene on Saturday, September 18th. Uh, 2021. Mm-hmm. So this just in about a month, and um, we're going to commemorate the 19 year anniversary of the unsolved murder of Jennifer Servo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is an Abilene case. So we're going to go to Abilene and be out there, be available. We're going to be kind of across the street from that Walmart on uh, Southwest Drive and Catclaw. So okay. Um, that was the, there is some video from that Walmart of the n- last night she was seen alive of uh, that, them uh, going in and, and shopping. Um, so we're going to go ahead and go there. I'm get, we're going to pass out flyers, try to get some more kind of hometown support there. I mean, I know it's not our hometown, but it's where this happened. And yeah, yeah. Um, 
this is an Abilene case. This is something that the Abilene community I know wants solved. Mm-hmm. And uh, right now there's not a detective assigned to this case. So really, the det- there's not. That is interesting. So nobody's yeah. doing anything with it. Nobody is working this case uh, from the police department. So we are, you know, I mean, I, I'm hoping that will change. I'm hoping that if we kind of drum up some more support in Abilene, that there will be some encouragement there to assign a detective uh-huh. because right now they're just waiting for a tip to come in. And, you know, these people haven't talked for going on 19 years and mm-hmm. something else needs to happen. There's lots of new testing that can be done, uh, more sensitive DNA testing. Yeah. There's, there's, all, there's a, options that could be done here. And so we need them to kind of put some focus on this with a detective assigned and do some new testing move forward with this case. Wow. Now, do you think you have evidence that the cops don't? No, I, I give, I will, I give everything that I have to the cops. Oh, you do. Oh, okay. Okay. So, so do they pick up the phone? Like, oh no, Sharon's calling again. Like, is that what, or do you have like a good relationship with them or like, how does that work? Um, well, when I originally contacted them, they, they were not excited about a podcast. And so, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, back then there was a detective assigned, uh-huh. um, but uh, no, they've never cooperated with me, which is fine. I understand that. I understand they want to keep it to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish that they would work a little, little bit with me in terms of helping kind of generate some buzz for this case. But, um, you know, different police departments work with podcasters in varying degrees. So right. it's fine. But um, I'm always open to working with them in the future. And I'm just mostly we're hoping we can get someone assigned to this and really get someone working on it again, because um, they don't have to like that there's a podcast about it, but there is so, <laughs> <laughs> it's really nothing they can do about it. <laughs> wow. Now, how many uh, how, how widespread or how big is your audience for the podcast? Do you know? Yeah, we have uh, people that are listening from all over the world, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, not every single country, but I mean. all all over the place. I'm always seeing hits from, I mean, Europe, a lot of Europe, a lot of, I mean, mostly United States, but a lot of Europe. I mean, a lot of uh, South America. I get, I get, you know, India. I get all kinds of- Do you get a lot of emails from people that are just like, you know, are nuts or like, how how do you tell? Like, how do you weed those out? Uh, I ask a lot of questions and try to find out if they were in that in, in Abilene or knew someone from Abilene at that time. Um, the background checks really help with that to see if they ever had any connection to Abilene. Yeah, you have I a database them. there. <laughs> did you background check me before we talked? <laughs> no, I did not. Okay, no, I, I trusted crime con people to do that. <laughs> good. That, I'm not hiding anything. I just thought that was funny. So, <laughs> all right. So um, you're up to some other things though in Missouri. Now, are, now where are you living? Do you want to share that or... I live um, in Missouri now. Okay. So you're in Missouri. I was just out in Missouri. I went to Lake of the Ozarks. Fantastic. Right. Totally loved it. So you're doing some advocate work. Talk about that a little bit. Well, I'm working um, with wrongfully convicted people here in Missouri. I lived in Texas for 16 years and I was working cases there and kind of working with people there. Um, and I decided when I got to Missouri, I wanted to do something for my uh-huh. community here. So I started working with a couple of wrongfully convicted people um, who are also working with Innocence Projects and Innocence Lawyers. Uh, but we have um, we have had in the past a lack of a mechanism to free 
wrongfully convicted people here in Missouri, unless you were on death row. So we've recently passed a law, the Missouri legislature passed a law, the governor signed it. It goes into effect August 28th. So this is a brand new law that will allow prosecutors to go into court and request that uh, these people be freed. And so a lot of exciting things are going to start to happen, I think, in Missouri uh, within the next few weeks. So it's really exciting. I think that um, there will be, there's a a really big case out of Missouri, out of Kansas City, really, um, Kevin Strickland. He's been getting national attention. He's been in jail for 43 years. He was wrongfully convicted of a triple homicide in 1978. Wow. Yeah. And our uh, Jackson County prosecutor has called him in prison and said, I'm sorry for what the system did to you. I know, you know, we know that you're innocent Uh and she's trying to free him. And our attorney general is working against her. So Hmm. it's tough. Um, But this new law is going to change a lot of those things or at least give the opportunity for some change. So Uh we're really looking forward to that. It's been a long time coming. (laughs) Wow. That is that is really something. So, okay, how can people find your podcast? Justice Delayed Podcast. Where can they get it? Uh, Pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. I mean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anything, Overcast, Stitcher. It's everywhere. So anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find it. It's also on my website. That's justicedelayedpod.com. You know, so... All right. And and we're going to have to, they're going to have to tune in to get the body language analysis because we're going to talk about that a little bit here offline. So uh, Sharon, thank you so much for coming on Truth, Lies and Cover-Ups. Thanks, Tracy. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining me. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it. I'll see you next time.